Thank you, Miss Wanda, and all God's people said. Amen. Amen. Take your Bibles and turn with us, please, this morning to Genesis chapter number 40. The book of Genesis chapter number 40. We're going to conclude our look that we began last week out of the life of Joseph on uh, Joseph, a young man imprisoned. We got part of the message, and so we'll finish the message this morning. Genesis chapter number 40. Thank you again, Miss Wanda. Thank you for all of the song service, the Sunday school hour. Genesis 40, if you can and will, would you stand with us, please, reading all of the chapter concerning Joseph, a young man imprisoned. The Bible says, And it came to pass after these things that the butler of the king of Egypt and his baker had offended their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was wroth against two of his officers, against the chief of the butlers and against the chief of the bakers. And he put them in ward in the house of the captain of the guard into the prison, the place where Joseph was bound. And the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them, and he served them, and they continued a season in ward. And they dreamed a dream, both of them, each man his dream, and one night, each man according to the interpretation of his dream, the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt, which were bound in the prison. And Joseph came in unto them in the morning, and looked upon them, and behold, they were sad. And he asked Pharaoh's officers that were with him in the ward of his Lord's house, saying, Wherefore look ye so sadly today? And they said unto him, We have dreamed a dream, and there is no interpreter of it. And Joseph said unto them, Do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me them, I pray you. And the chief butler told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream, behold, a vine was before me. And in the vine were three branches, and it was as though it budded, and her blossoms shot forth, and the clusters thereof brought forth ripe grapes. And Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup, and I gave the cup into Pharaoh's hand. And Joseph said unto him, This is the interpretation of it. The three branches are three days. Yet within three days shall Pharaoh lift up thine head, and restore thee unto thy place, and thou shalt deliver Pharaoh's cup into his hand after the former manner when thou wast his butler. But think with me when it shall be well with thee, and show kindness, I pray thee, unto me, and make mention of me unto Pharaoh, and bring me out of this house. For indeed I was stolen away out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also have I done nothing that they should put me into the dungeon." When the chief baker saw that the interpretation was good, he said unto Joseph, I was also in my dream, and behold, I had three white baskets on my head. And in the uppermost basket there was of all manner of baked meats for Pharaoh, and the birds did eat them out of the basket upon my head. And Joseph answered and said, This is the interpretation thereof. The three baskets are three days." Yet within three days shall Pharaoh lift up thy head from off thee, and shall hang thee on a tree, and the birds shall eat thy flesh from off thee. And it came to pass the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast unto all his servants, and he lifted up the head of the chief butler and of the chief baker among his servants. And he restored the chief butler unto his butlership again, 
and he gave the cup into Pharaoh's hand. But he hanged the chief baker, as Joseph had interpreted it to them. Yet did not the chief butler remember Joseph, but forget him. Thank you for standing. Joseph, a young man in prison. This is actually our fifth message uh, concerning the life of Joseph. Just a brief rehearsing of where we've been in the previous messages. We looked at the overview that the Old Testament gives of the life of Joseph and how God used the life of Joseph to help to preserve his nation of his people, the Israelites. We looked at Psalm 105, verses 16 to 25. We noticed Joseph, a man with iron in his soul. He didn't come that way. God had to build that into him. And God invested a lot in the life of Joseph because he's interested in building Joseph into a man that he may build Israel into a nation, that through that nation we would have a Savior and we could proclaim the gospel of that Savior unto the whole world. Secondly, we looked at Genesis 37, 1 through 11, and we noticed Joseph, a young man, singled out. A lot of attention is given to Joseph in Scripture. A lot of attention is given to Joseph by the people around him in his life. We looked at Genesis 37, verses 12 to 36, and we noticed Joseph, a young man, hated. He's hated by people that should have appreciated him and loved him, but yet he's hated. He has a lot of burden placed on him that he did not ask for, and yet he went to work right where he was. I wonder if we would do the same. In Genesis 39, of course, we looked at Joseph, a young man, tested. He's tempted to sin. And, of course, uh, we tried to make practical application and mention salvation, temptation, and discrimination for the child of God. Then last Sunday, we began this message. Joseph, a young man imprisoned. He is shut up to his circumstances. There's nothing he can do about it. He's there. And, of course, we divide the, the message into three portions. We've got the first portion dealt with last week. That is, Joseph is imprisoned. So we talked about the imprisonment of Joseph. Secondly, we'll get to this today, the Lord willing. But uh, we also want to notice the imprisonment of the butler and the baker. And then lastly, the integrity um, the integrity of Joseph. Uh, the chapter doesn't close the way Joseph wants it to close. But nothing is gone the way Joseph would have preferred it to go so far in his life concerning these events that we've been preaching on. You'll remember if you look back to Genesis 39, the imprisonment of Joseph. Genesis 39, the last three verses says, But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him mercy and gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. And the keeper of the prison committed to Joseph's hand all the prisoners that were in the prison. And whatsoever they did there, he was the doer of it. The last verse of chapter 39 says, And the keeper of the prison uh, looked not to anything that was under his hand, because the Lord was with him. And that which he did, the Lord uh, made it to prosper. So the imprisonment of Joseph, he's been falsely accused by Potiphar's wife, and he winds up in prison. Now remember that Potiphar's the captain of the guard. He's the chief executioner uh, in Egypt. Uh, he could have very easily, very easily could he have taken the life of Joseph. You remember in chapter 39, we find that Potiphar is angry. He's upset. He's mad. 
And I posed the question, who's he mad at? Evidently, he's not mad at Joseph because he could have easily taken his head, could have taken his life in a moment, in a brief uh, order for the execution of Joseph. He may have been angry at his wife. And it's interesting that later on in the life of Joseph, you'll find that Joseph will not execute vengeance on his brothers. There's no mentioning of Potiphar's wife nor Potiphar. He will not execute uh, judgment. He will not get even with the baker who will forget him in this chapter for at least two years. Uh, but Joseph will go on. He lets God take care of all that. Now, I want to say what I said last week. Personally, I believe through every bit of this that God is working some of these things out of the heart and life of Joseph. When Joseph comes to rise in power in Egypt, He doesn't need to be sidetracked. His mind does not need to be bogged down with all this vengeance he feels like he needs to get and meet out to other people who have wronged him. Joseph will have two countries at least dependent upon their survival, dependent upon him uh, doing what God has put him on earth to do. And if he gets bogged down with all this other stuff, if he lets that get the best of him, Not only will Joseph suffer and those people suffer, but there'll be a multitude of people that will suffer. And so the imprisonment of Joseph, as we close chapter 39 and open chapter 40, here Joseph is in prison. You remember last week we we rehearsed a little. We remembered a little. We we remembered the dreams of Joseph. There are two. Uh, There's his uh, his, uh, dream, his harvest dream. Uh, where there are 11 sheaves that bow down to his sheave. Of course, the truth behind that is that God showed him that one day his brothers, his brothers were going to bow down to him. And then there was his celestial dream. Uh, you'll remember where the sun and the moon, which is his father and his mother, and the 11 stars bow down to it. His entire family is seen. His people are seen bowing down to him. And of course, if there's any fault that's been laid to the life of Joseph by those that have studied his life, it is that perhaps when God told him what he told him, maybe he should have just kept a lid on that. But it takes a while, right, before we learn to do that in his youth. uh, You might say in his immaturity, he tells his brothers, well, they hate him for it. And then he tells his father and his brothers. His father rebukes him sharply in chapter 37 And his brothers hate him yet the more when he comes with his second dream. You'll remember that we relied on or we leaned on two verses of Scripture last week. I'll only give you one of them. Uh, But uh, in 1 Thessalonians 4, 11, the Bible says, And that you study to be quiet and to do your own business and to work with your own hands as we commanded you. Of course, Paul's telling that to the believers at Thessalonica. Brother David touched on a little that yesterday in his charge to the church at Calvary in, in Grenada. And, but it takes time, doesn't it? It takes time to learn to be quiet. It takes time to just do your own business, mind your own business. That's the idea of it. It takes time to do all that and let the world sell on by, and you just do what you've been put here to do. Just do your work, pay your bills, love your family, attend your church, etc., etc., etc. And I want to drop a little truth on all of us this morning. Not everybody is as interested in you as you are interested in you. Joseph probably was interested in Joseph. And a good day when we wake up and realize not everybody's as interested in us as we are. 
some of us preachers, we all have the gift of gab, I guess, don't ask us about our life. Nobody ever asks us about us. Don't ever ask us about us. I remember many years ago, we were traveling, myself and my wife, Brother Kerry Nelson and his wife, and Brother Kerry wasn't listening to the directions, and so he stopped and he asked a fellow, and Michelle said, when we pulled off, said, he, he, had, he, is, he had to be a preacher. And he said, why do you say that? And she said, well, he didn't just give you a straight answer. He answered it, but he just rambled on. He said, every one of you preachers are that way. And we usually are. Joseph perhaps should have been quiet. But God gave him these dreams, and they're real in his life. So we, we, um, we recollected the dreams of Joseph. And then we remembered the temptations of Joseph, which are three. Three large temptations. He's tempted in the area of prosperity. God's prospered him. Over and again, we read in chapter 39 where the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord made what Joseph did to prosper. You'll remember that Potiphar and all of his house, all of his business, you'll remember the prison house. Everybody in Joseph's life is blessed because Joseph is in their life, and he handles it well. He proves to be a good steward, and he proves to be trustworthy. Sometimes success will go to a man's head. There's been a lot of people that amounted to something till they got to be to, till they got to be somebody, and you know the rest of the story. Not everybody can be trusted with much. I'm convinced that's why God doesn't allow some of us to have much. Can I get a witness? But then there was the test of purity, and in that Joseph proves to be a good saint. He maintains his testimony. Potiphar's wife tempts him. We believe that went on for years. Then one day, there's no other man in, in the quarters, and so Potiphar's wife, she puts her hands on Joseph and says, lie with me, and Joseph got himself out, the Bible says. And of course, there were some things that helped Joseph to escape the temptation, to sensual sin with Potiphar's wife. He was Number one, he was offended at sin. Sin is still an offense to God. I've often wondered if what Billy Graham said, if Many years ago, probably about between 50 and 60 years ago, when he was talking about homosexuality beginning to find a place in, in American culture, that many decades ago, he said, you know, said if God doesn't judge America, he'll have to call Sodom and Gomorrah back, apologize, and then preachers ever since have been saying, well, we know that God never has had to apologize. Uh, the sin of sodomy is against nature itself, and it certainly is against God. It is an offense. But sin is so commonplace in our culture today, no one is stung by it. Nobody's conscience seems to be bothered anymore by sin. If you operate if in, in, the, in an area where language is tough, you know what I'm saying, or where temptation and sin is rampant and that doesn't bother you, you've got problems. You've got problems. The test of purity, Joseph, he passes the test. Not only because he's offended at sin, but also because Potiphar's been good to it. And so he displays a loyalty to Potiphar. Your mom and dad's been good to you. You ought to be loyal to them. Your husband's been good to you. You ought to be loyal to it. Tap Misty on the leg when I say that. And, and your wife's been good to you. You ought to be loyal to her. You ought to be loyal to God. God's been good to you. And Joseph realizes that without Potiphar, he would not be enjoying and could not appreciate all that's uh, present in his life. And Joseph also teaches us it's better to avoid the temptation, remove yourself from it, flee even if necessary. And of course, Potiphar's wife got Joseph's coat but did not touch his character. 
Then there's the test of persecution. And of course, Joseph proves to be good at submitting to God. He holds to truth. He's been falsely accused and wrongfully imprisoned. We gave you four principles. This is where we got to last Sunday and where we stopped. But he gave us four principles, and we borrowed these principles even from different portions of Scripture, different places, that is, other than Genesis 40. But he teaches us to wait patiently upon the Lord, right? He teaches us to walk humbly before the Lord. He teaches us to live our life faithfully for the Lord, and he teaches us to live wholeheartedly for the Lord. And we close with some personal uh, experiences that I really did not plan to share last Sunday. So I was considering this again, and I am going to share this. It's not out of my life, but it is out of the life of Brother Eugene Digby. Most of you will remember Brother Eugene Digby and his wife, Miss Ellen. There was a sweet couple that served Christ in the Red Bay, Alabama area. It's Brother Digby and his precious wife. I always counted it a highlight. I've preached a lot in the Red Bay area and a number of those churches through the years and always counted it a real highlight to look up on a Monday night or Tuesday night or a Thursday or a Friday night and see Brother Eugene come in. Just a sweet soul. He founded Christ for the Crisis Ministries, and he carried it on for years. Then his son, Brother Kenny Digby, Brother Kenny, helped him with it and then carried it on toward the latter part of that. And then, of course, that has subsided in our area. It was a television and radio ministry for years in northeast Mississippi and northwest Alabama. Uh, one Sunday when church dismissed in Corinth, one of Brother Kenny and Miss Becky's sons, uh, they, they weren't cutting up, but they were just being kids on the parking lot. There was a, there was a young man with a four-wheel drive kind of jacked up, and, and Brother Kenny's son was through the sunroof. They were talking to some other kids. They didn't spin tires. They were not reckless. Those who witnessed the accident said it was one of the most unusual things they'd ever seen but the young man, they were going to go eat somewhere after a Sunday night service. And as he was pulling away, he just turned sharply at a very slow rate of speed. And the four-wheel drive just kind of tipped over. But Brother Kenny's son lost his life. Brother Doug Jones had great respect for Brother Digby. And Brother Digby did for Brother Jones. And Brother Doug called me and he said, are you going to the visitation, the viewing with the family? And I said, I plan to. He said, I want you to come get me. I, I want to go. And so I never will forget, I try to pay attention to these older men that God's used, never will forget at the casket uh, when Brother Doug and I finally got to see Brother Digby, Brother Eugene. He was there, and he said that Brother Doug said, oh, I'm so sorry. And Brother Digby said, we don't understand these things. He said, but we trust the Lord. He knows best. And... He said, that then they begin to reminisce about both of them preaching revivals. And I thought, uh, what a front row seat I have, getting to hear these old gray-haired warriors of the cross, these old war horses that have stood the test of time. And then they talked about revivals and the souls they had seen saved and the opportunities God had given them to pastor and to preach in state and out of state, etc. And I just marveled. I, I love that sort of a scene. And then Brother Doug, he said again, he said, Brother Eugene, he said, I am so sorry. And Brother Digby said again, he said, Brother Jones, he said, we don't understand these things, but we trust the Lord. He said, you know, he said, Brother Jones, he said, I remember when Ellen and I got the call and I answered the phone. 
He said Kenny was teaching seminary classes in Texas, and he said Ellen heard me when I answered the phone, and she knew something was wrong. So she put down what she was doing and come stood by me. And when I hung the phone up, she said, Eugene, what's wrong? And He said, well, forgive me, I forget Brother Kenny's first wife. I forget her name. But he called her name and he said she's been killed in an automobile accident on the interstate in Texas. And said that Miss Ellen said she just ran down the hall and then back into the living room and ran and was in a hysterical frame of mind and said finally he said I stopped her and she said she said what are we going to do what are we going to do and he said I tell you what we're going to do Ellen he said we're going to live those principles I've been preaching all over the country we're going to trust God he makes no mistake and he said brother Jones he said even in this I don't understand God taking my grandson when he's taking him but we trust God he makes no mistake So it is, as you look at the life of Joseph, he trusts God. God makes no mistake. The devil makes plenty of mistakes. People around us and we make our share of mistakes, but God makes no mistakes. The imprisonment of Joseph, he goes to work right where he is. You say, preacher, I feel as though I'm locked up to my set of circumstances. Perhaps you are, but you can go to work right where you are. And you can trust God because before your trial came to your life, it passed his desk before it ever got to you. He does not permit the devil to touch you any more than he will allow. Job 1 testifies to that. Would you pray for me? I'm trying to prepare. I'd love when we finish, which it would take a while, the book of Philippians. I'd love to take us through the book of Job on Wednesdays. I'd love to do that. I'm trying to ready my heart for that. We can't bog down five or six years in the book of Job. Perhaps we can take it a chapter and sometimes two at a time. The key to interpreting the book of Job is knowing who's speaking at any given time. And, of course, a lot about Job has been misconstrued. He was a very prideful man. We know that by looking at his arguments as he argues back to his friends that accuse him of being a hypocrite. But... uh, Anyways, the imprisonment of Joseph. We learn much, do we not, from Joseph's life. Locked up to where he is. You're locked up to where you are today, dear heart. I wouldn't know who you are, but you know who you are. You know what you're facing. Oftentimes, we've found ourselves locked up, shut up to what we are facing in life. Let's move to the text now. Verses 1 to 4. I want to consider the imprisonment of the butler and the baker. I want you to notice verses 1, 2, 3, and 4, the dilemma. The dilemma of being put into prison that the butler and the baker now face. Verses 1 through 4. The Bible says, And it came to pass after these things that the butler of the king of Egypt and his baker uh, had offended their lord, the king of Egypt. And Pharaoh was wroth against two of his officers, against the chief of the butlers and against the chief of the bakers. And he put them in ward in the house of the captain of the guard into the prison, the place where Joseph was bound. And the captain of the guard charged Joseph with them, and he served them, and they continued a season in ward. It's interesting, the butler and the baker. They both are are put into prison at the same time. There's a night that they are put into prison. They both have a dream, each each one of them, their individual dreams. 
They are troubled because of each of them, because of their dreams. They realize there must be some significance to their dreams, yet they cannot interpret their dreams. Joseph, while checking on them, asked them what troubles them. They share that they both dream. They share their dreams with Joseph. Joseph interprets both their dreams, and they are both released from prison the same day. Of course, under different circumstances. Now, the hypothesis that most believe, myself included, is that the butler is the chief butler. He actually would have been the cupbearer. He would have been to Pharaoh uh, what Nehemiah was to Xerxes, the king of Persia. And the baker is the chief baker, and the butler is the chief butler. In other words, they're the head of staff. And... Uh, and the hypothesis is that they boast that the that, that Pharaoh's angry at them and puts them into prison because somebody has made an attempt on his life. If, if you want to take Pharaoh's life, one of the easiest ways to do that is poison either what he drinks, the butler would have been responsible for that, or what he eats at a meal, the baker would have been responsible for that. They're responsible for the preparation for the presentation and for the serving of all meals and all drink. And so they're put into prison, both of them at the same time, because evidently somebody has tried to get to Pharaoh, tried to take him out. And so verse number 4 says that they continued a season in ward. The reason for that is there's an investigation going on. One man's innocent, one man's guilty. Of course, it could have been both men were Guilty or both men innocent, but it's going to prove one man evidently is guilty and one man is innocent because one's going to be restored and the other one, his life is going to be taken. So that's the hypothesis, their dilemma of being put into prison. Secondly, consider with me their dreams while in prison. Now, first of all, there's the mentioning of their dreams, and we're just going to walk through these verses, verses 5 through 22. But first of all, there's the mentioning of their dreams in verse number 5. The Bible says, and they dreamed a dream, both of them. Of course, that's the butler and the baker. Each man his dream, and one night, each man, according to the interpretation of his dream, the butler and the baker of the king of Egypt, which were bound in the prison. The mentioning. Again, these dreams trouble them. They know there's some significance to their dreams. And so they hang on to the dream. They don't soon forget, like we do. After we wake, we forget what we dream. And But then, not only in verse number 5, the mentioning of the dreams, you get a glimpse of the character and demeanor, the heart of Joseph in verses 6 and 7. Verses 6 and 7, the Bible says, And Joseph came in unto them in the morning and looked upon them, and behold, they were sad. And he asked Pharaoh's officers that were with him in the ward of his Lord's house, saying, Wherefore look ye so sadly today? A glimpse at Joseph's heart, his demeanor who he is and what he was like. We get a glimpse of him right here. He's kind. If anybody maybe had a right to snap back or to be bitter or to be unkind, perhaps it's Joseph. But it costs nothing to be kind. It costs nothing, child of God, to be Christ-like. It costs nothing to walk on. Ladies, it costs nothing to be ladylike. Fellas, it costs nothing for you to Behave yourself as a Christian gentleman, even when mistreated. Joseph and others in the Bible teach us this. Consider with me now, if you will, verses 8 to 19, the 
rehearsing of the dreams of these two men. Verse number 8, now verses 6 and 7, Joseph saw that they're troubled. Their countenance is troubled, and he said, what's wrong? Tell me what's the matter. What's troubling you? What's bothering you this morning? And then in verse number 8, I love this verse. The Bible says, and they said unto him, we have dreamed a dream. You would almost think the Bible would then read that Joseph would interrupt and say, well, you can forget that. I had two dreams and shared my two dreams, and my life's a wreck now. But that's not what Joseph does, is it? Here in verse number 8, and they said unto him, you want to know what's wrong with us? Both of them speak up and say, we have dreamed a dream, and there's no interpreter of it. And Joseph said unto them, do not interpretations belong to God? Tell me them, I pray you. The rehearsing of the dreams. I'll tell you what this verse tells us. It tells us that Joseph still believes God. And Joseph still believes his dreams. He's not sour about dreams. He's not sour about what God has put in his heart, put deep into his soul. In, in spite of being hated by his family, sold into slavery, tempted to sin, in spite of being a foreigner in a foreign land, in spite of being mistreated, and now, finding himself in prison, Joseph has not turned his back on God. Joseph is not, uh, he has not ceased believing uh, God. And the dreams that were once working in his heart are still alive in his life and still well. Is anybody here today because of circumstances in your life, you quit believing God? You've turned your back on your faith to a certain degree? You, you've lost confidence in people, but the problem is you've also lost confidence in God. You quit reading his word. You quit praying. You don't have a place of regular prayer. You, you don't have a notebook where you jot down a thought or two that God shows you out of Scripture. It's a place like that. If you come to a place like that in your life, Joseph hasn't. Joseph just keeps on keeping on for God. He still believes God, and he still believes his dreams. Notice, if you will, the chief butler's dream. There's the dream itself, verses 9 through 11. The Bible says, And the chief butler told his dream to Joseph and said to him, In my dream, behold, a vine was before me, and in the vine were three branches, and it was as though it budded. And her blossoms shot forth, and the clusters thereof brought forth ripe grapes. And Joseph's, or excuse me, and Pharaoh's cup was in my hand, and I took the grapes and pressed them into Pharaoh's cup, and I gave the cup into Pharaoh's hand. There's the dream itself, verses 9, 10, and 11. Uh, the butler says, you want to know? You say God can interpret dreams? I want to know what this means. And so he rehearses his dream. And so Joseph is going to interpret the dream. You notice with me in verses 12 and 13, where the Bible says, And Joseph said unto him, This is the interpretation of it. The three branches are three days, yet within three days. He said, I've got good news for you. He says, yet within three days shall Pharaoh lift up thine head and restore thee into thy place. And I'm sure that the butler feels at this time, well, what a relief. The king evidently has learned or will learn or is to learn if my dream, the interpretation of it is true, that I'm not guilty of trying to make an attempt on his life. This is good news for him. Yet within three days, verse 13. Shall Pharaoh lift up thine head and restore thee unto thy place? And thou shalt deliver Pharaoh's cup into his hand after the former manner when thou wast his butler. And so this is, this is a truth that the butler has hoped would come out. 
And truth always comes out, sometimes later than we want it to, but truth will always outlive a lie and will trump a lie. Notice Joseph, he's human. Watch verse 14 and 15. He'll make a request and he'll give his reasoning for the request. He tells him, you're going to be set free. You are the cupbearer, the chief butler, the chief cupbearer. He said, your dream, I see in your dream, you're pressing grapes, fresh grapes into the cup, and you shall with your hand deliver that cup once again unto Pharaoh. You're going to go back to your station in life. You'll be pardoned. You've been found innocent. And he says, when you're set free, watch his request, verses 14 and 15. He writes, uh, he says, but think on me when it shall be well with thee, and show kindness, I pray thee, unto me. And make mention of me unto Pharaoh, and bring me out of this house. For indeed I was stolen away out of the land of the Hebrews, and here also have I done nothing that they should put me into the dungeon. This word for dungeon is an interesting word. It means being put into the hole. We learn from Psalm 105 there was shackled, there was iron placed around his neck. and There were arms that shackled his hands and his feet. And we learn in Psalm 105, when they fastened him with that, they hurt him. He's been wounded physically, not just emotionally, not just in his mind, um, not just in his heart, but physically they wounded him. And he tells, uh, he, he tells this butler, when you're set free, please, I've done you a favor. I've served you while here. He's the trustee, and yet he ran the prison house as well. He said, I've been kind to you. I've ministered to you. Please make mention of me. Here's my story. My brothers, my brothers wanted to kill me, and because of my oldest brother, they just threw me in a pit. And while he was gone, they sold me to the Ishmaelites. Potiphar bought me. They actually put me on the slave block. All I wore was a little piece of slave clothing. It was a shame and embarrassment. If you just knew where I came from, um, and then in Potiphar's house for years, I served him faithfully and. His wife, uh, you would just have to know her, but she tempted me. I resisted the temptation. She lied and, and connived against me. Now I'm here. I've done nothing wrong. Please, please mention to Pharaoh, please mention his, my story. There's a reason why he does that. Now there's the chief baker's dream, verses 16 17, the dream itself. And when the chief baker saw that the interpretation was good, he said unto Joseph, I, was, I also was in my dream. And behold, I had three white baskets on my head. And in the uppermost basket, uh, there was, <clears throat> excuse me, all manner of baked meats for Pharaoh. And the birds did eat out of them, uh, did eat them out of the basket upon my head. There's the dream itself. Now notice the interpretation Joseph will give in verses 18 and 19. The Bible says, and Joseph answered and said, this is the interpretation thereof. He said, I've got bad news for you. He says, the three baskets are three days. He said, yet within three days, or in other words, in three days' time, shall Pharaoh lift up thy head from off thee and shall hang thee on a tree, and the birds shall eat thy flesh from off thee. I wonder if he broke out in a cold sweat. He's guilty. He knew the whole time he's guilty. He's been found out. And there's something that's significant about his condemnation. The Egyptians, we owe in the way that funeral directors embalm bodies today, a great debt of gratitude is owed to the Egyptian people and the Egyptian culture. 
In their religion, they believed that when a man or a woman died, that eventually they would come back to life and they would need their body. And so because of their faith, it was a false religion, but they believed in preserving the body as best you can preserve it. And so they formulated chemicals and formulated and tried it and until they felt like they perfected the preservation of the body once it has died. And here Joseph says, you're guilty. I know the story. You two come in the prison ward at the same time. For the same reason, both of you were suspected. The butler is, he's innocent, but you're guilty. Not only will you be punished and your head taken from you, but they're going to take your body and allow the fowl of the air, the fowls of the birds of the air, uh, to pluck the flesh from your dead body, which is basically saying that Pharaoh believes you deserve eternal condemnation. Now, consider with me, if you will, their deliverance from prison. Verse number 20, both are brought out of prison at the same time. The Bible says in verse number 20, And it came to pass the third day, which was Pharaoh's birthday, that he made a feast unto all his servants, and he lifted up the head of the chief butler and the head of the chief baker, his servants. Both are brought out of prison at the same time. Look at verse number 21. The chief butler is restored to his position, just like his dream, just like the interpretation of his dream. He must have been a very appreciative man for this place in his life. Verse 21, and he restored the chief butler unto his butlership again, and he gave the cup into Pharaoh's hand. Watch verse number 22. Here you'll find the chief butler is hanged, or the chief baker, excuse me, is hanged upon a tree, just like his dream and just like the interpretation of his dream. Verse 22, but he hanged the chief baker as Joseph had interpreted to them, and life keeps moving. The imprisonment of Joseph, he's there, and according to justice, he had no business being there, and yet he trusts God in the midst of it all. The imprisonment of the butler and the baker, one of them deserved to be there. The other one is not there because he's guilty, and he's going to be set free and restored to his place of service. Now, I want you to consider with me for the next few minutes, and it'll be only a few. I want you to consider with me the integrity of Joseph. Look at verse 23. You remember the request that Joseph made to the butler? He believed God. Joseph believed God. He said, tell me your dream. He told him his dream. He said, tell you what's going to happen in three days. You're getting out of here. Three days, you go back to your family. You go back to your life. It's going to be all right. You'll be okay. And I can just, I can just almost see the, the butler, perhaps. I don't know if there were tears in his eyes, but I can just almost hear him as he would ask for further confirmation. Do you really believe that? Do you believe your God gave you the true interpretation of my future? I can hear Joseph say, I'd stake eternity on it. God never has lied to one, of, to one of his children. This is what God told me. God never has lied. My God doesn't lie. His promises are to be believed. No matter what's going on in your life, you can always believe my God. And he says, uh, I believe it then, Joseph. I believe the word of your God. He said, remember me, please. Remember me. I love that song. I won't give you the words to it. I have the words to it. But Jenkins sing it. Others sing it through it all. Joseph could sing that song, you know. We've all come to love it in the recent 
two or three years of our lives, haven't we? Some of us go to the Taylors of a camp meeting, the Renfro ladies from Tuscaloosa, Alabama. They sing it every year, through it all. Joseph can sing, through it all, I've learned to trust in Jesus. Through it all, I've learned to trust in his word. That's what trials will do for you, dear heart. It'll teach you to trust him through it all. If if you were to sit down with all the NBA basketball players, I don't watch NBA basketball anymore, haven't for years, but you probably would find some men, I don't knock them for this, but you probably would find some men that that don't know the alphabet well. Probably would find that in Major League Baseball, football, hockey, soccer, whatever. But what happened in their life was early on in middle school, probably a ball coach or somebody that had some sway, noticed some athletic ability, and said, we need him. We need her on the team. We've got to have it. And so perhaps there was some tutoring. They did the best they could, but the aptitude wasn't there. People looked the other way, and and getting out of high school, instead of going to a 1A school, they went to maybe a community college or a 2A, 3A school, and now they're in the pros. They didn't have to take the test you had to take or I had to take. Why don't you listen to me? If you don't pass first-grade material with God, you will go back and take the test. If you don't pass second-grade material with God, you have to go back and repeat the courses. You'll find that to play out over and again in Scripture. We repeat lessons that we're unwilling to learn. Joseph says, I've learned through it all to trust him. I've had to go back and take tests, but I've trusted him yet the more as I take tests. Joseph is a young man imprisoned, and he's a young man forgotten. Verse 23 says, and it says, yet did not the chief butler remember Joseph, but forget him. He'll remember him, but it'll be two years later. Can you hear the prison door open? Joseph thinks, here they come for me. But nobody's come for him. Don't you just imagine after several days, he realizes. He said he would remember me, but he has forgotten me. I want to say some practical things right here, if I may. First of all, I want to say a word about Joseph's feelings or the pain in Joseph's life. Look back at chapter 39. I want to remind us of something. The favor of God is upon Joseph's life. Can you look about your life and see the hand of God working and preserving and helping you and blessing you? And Can you look back over life and see that? Look at, look at Joseph's life, and if you've not already underlined these phrases as I read them, maybe you'll want to do so. In Genesis 39, verse number 2, the Bible says, And the Lord was with Joseph. Genesis 39, verse 3, two phrases there. The Bible says, And his master saw that, here it is, the Lord was with him. Then in verse number 3, That the Lord made all that he did to prosper in his hand. Verse number 5, The Lord blessed the Egyptian's house, For Joseph's sake, also in verse 5, the blessing of the Lord was upon all that he had in the house and in the field. It's because of Joseph. Verse number 21, 
but the Lord was with Joseph. Verse number 21, showed him mercy. Verse number 21, gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. Verse number 23, toward the end of the verse, the Lord was with him. And then that verse closes, the Lord made it to prosper. Say what you will about the favor of God upon a man's life, Joseph's life, your life, my life. But that does not exempt him from two things. Number one, it does not exempt him from responsibility in his life. And it does not exempt him from pain. Though he's been done wrong, he is to do right. And you can be here today and you've been done wrong. But you are to do right. You're always to do right. And doing right is not always the easiest thing to do. To walk in the midst of adversity, knowing that you will not be appreciated for it, and still do right. We are responsible. Our part of salvation and sanctification puts responsibility square upon our shoulders. Number two, not only is he responsible to make right choices, and you and I are as well, but Joseph felt the pain of rejection. And you say what you will. The favor of God upon your life or my life or any of our lives to be lied about, to be pushed aside is a painful experience. Could I share just a little something with you? I promise you, I'm almost done. I promise you. Some of you will have ears to hear what I'm going to say, and I say this out of pure love. When we were still meeting at the Bible Institute um, some years ago, there was a man that I knew well and a his grandson that I had only vaguely really known. And they showed up at the Bible Institute. The grandfather brought him and to me, to Brother Ronnie, and to Brother Don, and introduced him. And soon afterwards, that young man, every time I stopped, I thought he was going to run into the back of me. He asked me one Thursday night. He just, I'm telling you, everywhere I went, he went. I had been hurt by a group of preachers. I had never talked to them about it. I had tried, got shut off. And here's my thing. You run over me once, maybe twice, about the third time. I will not mistreat you. I'll speak. I'll pass and repass, but I will get out of your way. You stop answering my phone calls, I'll just quit calling, and I'll go on with my life. So it was hard to get me on the phone. Kind of hard now. If you don't leave a message sometimes, you still won't get me. To this day, he started calling. I missed him a couple of times. He caught me at a sandwich break, and he said, uh, couldn't look me in the eye. And he said, uh, could I buy you supper? I'd like to ask some questions. And I said, I'd feel honored if you'd buy my supper. And kind of in a bashful way, he looked up, smiled, and he said, trolley work for you? I said, it'd be perfect. Could we go tomorrow night? I said, tomorrow night sounds good. The trolley's got a little room back in the back, or did have. I hadn't been there in years. I've never let him buy me a meal. We've eaten many a meal together. 
And we sat back there in that little room, and I'm going to tell you what I heard over all the questions about the call to preach and salvation and assurance of salvation and how do you study your Bible, how do you sermonize, what is all that about? Here's what I heard. I heard a young man that everything was socially awkward for him. A brilliant young man that was lonely in some ways. He had a family, but he didn't have too many friends. God gripped my heart with what he did not say that night. We've been close ever since. I was drawn to, he talked to me about while growing up, his mind is probably close to brilliant. He almost apologized for sitting and eating with me that night. He said to me, he said, you know, he said, uh, he said, kids I grew up with don't understand me. And I feel awkward about it. Boy, God tore my heart out that night. And he said, I just don't ever feel like I fit in and I feel like I'm in the way. And I said, well, you've got a friend. You may walk away from me one day, but I'll be here when you get back. I'm drawn to that. I know what that feels like. I know what it feels like to be pushed out. Do you? I know what it is to feel wounded and hurt. And if somebody else tell their side and me just keep my mouth shut and walk on, not get not able to put my side out there. I know what it is to sit in services, even in Bible conferences, knowing that when I go there, I'm going to be shot at from the pulpit by some of the other brethren that's going to be there. So I'm drawn to that. Don't ever forget where God has brought you from. And let me say a little something about preachers. There's a pattern in Scripture. Some of you talk to me about what I say about ministry and preachers. There's a pattern. You watch it. Watch what I'm telling you. There's a pattern concerning ministers, preachers, call them what you will, evangelists, what they were prior to the ministry. If they were loners, if they were misunderstood, if they were out in front of the pack, probably that's what they're going to be in ministry. i give you Amos for an example. He was a sheep herder and a gatherer of sycamore fruit. He had no idea God was preparing his heart after all by himself. To send him all by himself to the northern kingdom and preach to all the rich people. And he'd be an outcast to the point that the king's preacher would tell him, you don't belong, you need to go home. All Amos knew was keep his head down, keep working. He stayed with it. Take the apostle Paul as an example from the New Testament. He's out front when you meet him. When Stephen is stoned, those that would stone him would bring all their coats and lay them at the feet of Saul. It's Saul that's yet breathing threatenings and slaughter headed to Damascus. Saul's out front. When God gets through with him, he's going to put him out front in his business too. Joseph's feelings, his pain in life. We may have the favor of God upon our lives, but pain hurts. I don't care who you are. Joseph's faithfulness or his perseverance displayed. 
in its life. Now, this is what I'm going to tell you. We think when the world falls apart around us, that's it. And yet, this is but a season in Joseph's life. It's a long season. It's an extended season, mind you. But it is but a season. It is but a season. God has a way of giving us some sunshine later on after we've been through storms, doesn't he? I must tell you, I'm at a good place in life. Not only am I muscular and handsome. Oh, excuse me, I got carried away there. Excuse me, I'm sorry. In all reality, I've had my share of storms. <laughs> But I want to tell you something. God has sure smiled on me in my recent past. And I'm so so proud to be at a place in my life where the wind isn't blowing. Sometimes I have wondered, Brother Johnny, what's next? You hear me and you've heard others, you've heard your parents probably raised you and said, be faithful, live a faithful life. Sounds simplistic, and it is, yet profound at the same time. But sometimes it is incredibly difficult to be faithful. Ask a wife that's struggling today. She's doing her best to beat out a life of faith. Ask a husband. Ask a child that walks their faith alone. We have a lady in our church that shared with me upon one occasion that her punishment was that she couldn't go to church. And that's the only place in her life she found reprieve and peace. Ask a child that has to live like an adult before their time. How difficult, very demanding it can be. Joseph's feelings, Joseph's faithfulness, Joseph's future is in the hands of God. I'll give you a verse from the book we are in, in our Wednesday evenings, the book of Philippians, chapter number 1 and verse number 6. The Bible says being confident, that is being assured, being settled about this very thing. He writes, being confident of this very thing, that he which hath begun a good work in you will perform it unto the day of Jesus Christ. Here's what we know from Joseph's life. Number one, we know that Joseph had not been forgotten of God, neither have you, child of God. God hasn't forgotten you. And God wasn't finished with Joseph. And the fact that you still have breath in your body is testimony to the fact that God's not finished with this thing yet in your life. Be faithful to him. Now, I'm done. I was looking early this morning, uh, just reading, really. I've had this message prepared now for about three weeks or so. But I have back on um, the story out of uh, John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, the great allegory um, of the Christian life. It's a classic. At one time outside the Bible, it was the world's bestseller. The allegory of, of Christian 
and his path to the celestial city. In Pilgrim's Progress, while trapped in the giant's dungeon, Christian's friend, hopeful, he was overwhelmed with despair to the point he wanted to take his own life. And Christian said to hopeful, um, he says to his friend, hopeful, he says, indeed, our present condition is dreadful and death would be far more welcome than to live here forever. But yet, let us consider the Lord of the country to which we are going. And hopeful got his hope back. The road don't always turn down, ladies and gentlemen. And if it never picks back up this side of eternity, let, let us remember the Lord of the country and where we are headed. There's a brighter day coming. All God's people said, Miss Angie, would you come please? Brother Greg, come lead us in a hymn of invitation, please.